so we're in our series, Sign of the Times. Uh, this is part two, and then I'll wrap up our series next week. Today I'm talking about living in a hostile world. Today I want to just pick up where I left off last week. We're studying what Jesus had to say uh, about his second coming and the end of the age. And I'm just going to have to say, I try every week to, to take things that are kind of complicated and make them as, as understandable and easy as possible, uh, try to become very uh, applicable and, and, and just try and, try and make things as easy as they can. But there are certain passages that there's just not much you can do with. They just get pretty complicated. And today's passage is one of those where it gets pretty difficult. We're in Matthew chapter 24 uh, in, in what's known as the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus is sharing with his disciples things that are going to be happening in the world prior to his return. Now, last week, I shared with you four observations of things that are going to be going on uh, in the last days. And I just wanted just to refresh your mind. Number one, uh, we said there are false Christs are going to arise. These are people who are going to try to convince others that they are Christ, they are the Messiah. They're gonna promise to make the world a better place. Uh, this may be a, a religious leaders who claim to be God's representative and they, they, they promise peace but deliver division. And as uh, so we talked about that last week, there's gonna be wars and rumors of wars so competing ideologies and worldviews and politics are going to cause, cause nation against nation, groups to fight each other. Even family members are going to be divided. I think we're going to see widespread division, even within countries, leading to civil wars. Uh, hatred and anger and a lack of value for human life is going to lead to unimaginable brutality. Uh, millions of people will lose their lives in these senseless wars. And then on top of that, we learned that there were going to be famines and earthquakes and so whether this is by war or natural disaster or man-made design, uh, there's going to be food uh, shortages. Uh, for whatever reason, food production will decrease to the point that famine will lead to starvation for so many people. And uh, people will do just about anything to try and feed their families. And at the same time, we see that the earth is going to groan under the weight of the curse, and we're going to see earthquakes and tsunamis and widespread destruction. It's going to feel like a scene out of an end-of-the-world movie, which is kind of ironic, right? Because we're talking about the end of the world. Uh, that's what it's going to be. And if history tells us anything, people are going to get upset, and they're going to blame somebody for this. Anybody want to guess who they're probably going to blame? The Christians. They're going to blame Christians for what's going on in the world, and then th that's why there's going to be hatred and tribulation and martyrdom of the Christians, as it was in the day when Nero hunted down the first century Christians. Followers of Christ are going to be pursued, and they're going to put, be put to death just for being a follower of Christ. Now, it's hard for us to imagine such a scenario as I've just described, uh, because we've enjoyed decades and decades of relative peace and safety. But in the last days, Christians are once again going to be the target of evil forces. And we've already begun to see this today. So with all that good news as a springboard, <laughs> let me pick up where we left off last week. We're still in Matthew chapter 24. We'll begin reading in verse 9. Jesus speaking, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. 
but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And God, these good folks have come today to hear from you, not from me. Uh, So God, I pray that you would speak through me the words that you would have here for us today. Uh, God, I pray that our eyes, our ears, and our hearts would be open and in tune with what you would would have us to know. Uh, God, I pray that you would, uh, God, just give us understanding of what we should be looking for in these last days. What is the sign of your return? And God, how can we know and what should we do and how should we be prepared as we see uh, so many things falling into line? So God, I pray that uh, you would just bless our time together as we study your word. Just give us understanding, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the fifth observation I'm going to give you here from Jesus' teaching to his disciples is that people in the last days will turn away from the faith. Now, perhaps it's the wars or the famines or the earthquakes, but for whatever reason, their faith is going to, is going to begin to get shaky. Maybe it's the fear of martyrdom uh, that pushes them over the edge. Perhaps uh, it's uh, the hatred and the tribulation. Uh, it just becomes more than they can handle. We don't know necessarily why, but we know this. Many people in the last days are going to walk away from God. Now, I don't believe that if a person is truly saved that they can lose their salvation. I don't believe that. But if there's somebody who's had a religious experience but didn't necessarily put their faith in Christ, I believe many of these people just are going to walk away from God altogether. And we're already seeing this to an extent in our lifetime and in our generation. You've, you've heard of the, the rise of the nuns, right? I'm not talking about the Catholic nuns. <laughs> you know, I'm talking about those who've just said, I have no religious affiliation. That, that has risen to like over 20% of the population. People are walking away from church, walking away from organized religion, walking away from faith in God. Paul warned us in 1 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 1, it says, the, the Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Now, when this happens, this is, this is referred to as apostasy. And now, Today, we use different words than apostasy. Today, we call it deconstructing our faith, or we call it deconversion. Regardless of what you want to call it, people are turning their backs on God. They're walking away from biblical truth. And in the last days, the Bible says that many are going to abandon the faith. Now, the Apostle Paul reiterated in his letter to the church at Thessalonica, he said this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Now, brethren... Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together with him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Now, let me just pause here for a moment. The Thessalonians had been going through a really difficult time. They've been, they've been enduring severe hardship. They've been going through distress. And there were people in the church who were saying, hey, I think this is the day of Christ. They were going through such tribulation, such pain, and such difficulty. They're like, I think that the Lord is about to return. And so they were so convinced that Jesus was about to come that Paul had to write them and, and, and tell them that, hey, that's not, that's not what's happening here. Now, I could probably relate. If, if I was them and, and I was actually believed, believing that Jesus was going to come back uh, in the next week or the next month, it, probably would, it would probably have the tendency to get, get folks a little rattled. And that was what was going on here. 
So Paul here, he writes to the church at Thessalonica and says, hey, listen, what you're experiencing aren't the birth pains that Jesus warned about in the Olivet Discourse. He said this in verse three, continues. He says, let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, Paul reiterates here what Jesus taught the disciples in Matthew 24, and he says, listen, there's going to come a day of apostasy, a great falling away before the day of Christ. And now the falling away is a defection from truth. People are just going to be walking away from truth. They're gonna abandon truth and they're gonna believe a lie. Whether by deception, persecution, or the increase in lawlessness, people in mass are going to abandon faith in God. Remember what Paul said in 1 Timothy 4.1, in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. Now, Departure from faith in God has been happening for centuries, but in the days leading up to Christ's return, I believe we're gonna see a significant increase in people just walking away from God. Though I would love to see a worldwide revival for the glory of God, I believe that in the days leading up to Christ's return, we're, we're not gonna see a worldwide revival. I think we're gonna see a worldwide abandonment of God. Yes, I do believe that the gospel is going to be preached to the ends of the earth, just as Jesus said it would in Matthew 24. We'll read that in just a minute. But the gospel will largely be rejected, which is why Jesus said and asked the question in Luke chapter 18, verse eight. He said, Jesus said, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? Jesus said, listen, it's, you know, there's gonna be so many people that have abandoned God. Was Jesus even gonna find faith on earth when he returns? Now, this verse falls on the heels of what Jesus was talking about in Luke 17 in answer to the Pharisees' questions about the coming kingdom. So I wanna read that to you. Uh, Luke chapter 17, verse 22. Jesus speaking, it says, then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. So what's Jesus saying? What does this mean? I think Jesus is saying here that life is going to be going on as usual. People are just gonna be living the way they've lived for year after year, decade after decade. It's your typical, ordinary, sin-filled existence. Just like it was in the days of Noah until that first 
drop of rain began to fall and God's judgment fell upon the earth. In those days, out of the entire population of the earth, only eight people survived the flood. Once judgment began, it was too late to turn to God. Noah, Hebrews 11 calls him a preacher of righteousness. Noah had preached for 120 years, warning them that judgment was coming, warning them, and yet they rejected it. When God brought judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, only four people escaped the judgment fires. Luke 17, 30, it will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Sadly and tragically, out of the billions of people on the earth, the vast majority will likely reject Christ and abandon faith in God. So my friends, that is why it is so important that right now, we're in the 120 years, so to speak, uh, that Noah was able to preach righteousness before the judgment fell. We're in that period where we have the opportunity to get the gospel to every man, woman, and child, and that is why it must be our number one priority. What else are we here for if it isn't to share the gospel with every man, woman, and child, right? That's what we have. It's called the Great Commission, because that's what we were left to do. That's what we were commissioned. That's what we were told to do. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We are in that period right before Jesus returns and we are to take the gospel everywhere we possibly can. Like Noah, I believe that we are living in that time just prior to the judgment of God. And we have work to do. But our work is gonna grow more difficult the closer we get to Christ's return. Matthew chapter 24, back to the Olivet Discourse. Verse 12, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. We are in that era, I think, I think the days of apostasy are beginning to dawn. We are, we are, we, for years and centuries, we have had the opportunity to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And, and we, have been doing, we have been doing that. But I believe we, we are beginning to see the fact that the days of apostasy, people walking away from God, walking away from church, abandoning faith, are upon us. I don't know how long it'll take, weeks, months, Years, decades, centuries. I don't know how long it's going to take. But we can see the fact that time is drawing nigh. I'm sure every generation has thought that their generation is the last generation before Christ returns. But I'll tell you, there have been many prophecies of Scripture that have been fulfilled in our generation, in our time. So that's why I believe it's just our responsibility to take the gospel to the end of the earth. That's why at Venture, we started Leadership Outreach. It's why just through our church, we are training nearly 2,000 pastors and church leaders in 14 countries around the world. And do you realize that through your generous offerings that you give, you buy every book for every one of those students? Every student gets 10 books, and our church buys all 10 books for all 2,000 people. That's what we do. 
and we train them, we establish training centers. And we're, we're not, yes, we're taking the gospel. And yes, we've seen many, many churches planted through our network, but we, we are focused on leaders. We are focused on training that generation of, of influencers so that we can, we can affect as many people as possible. That's what we do. And then locally, we do it here through Venture Cares because we, we, we just take seriously the Great Commission and the fact that we are to get the gospel out in these last days. Now, the reality is none of us knows how long we have before the beginning of the 70th week of Daniel, before the book of Revelation comes to life. So let's continue here in Jesus' teaching in the Olivet Discourse, verse 15. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes des desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back and get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those last days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or hey, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Now, there is a lot to unpack in this passage. And this is a three-week series. <clears throat> and we're already in week two. So uh, I don't have time to go line by line through that and explain it to you. There's a lot there. The abomination that causes desolation, Daniel 70th week, the Antichrist, false prophets, signs, wonders, and all this more. Uh, I'm going to try to uh, try to summarize this for you uh, in a way that perhaps we can understand, at least get a basic understanding of, of what's happening here. So let me start by talking about Daniel's vision of 70 weeks and what we mean when we talk about the 70th week of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, we find Daniel praying to God on Israel's behalf, pleading with God to forgive them and to restore them. So in answer to Daniel's prayer, God sends the angel Gabriel to deliver a message from God. The message from Gabriel outlines the prophetic future of Israel in terms of 70 weeks, which here refers to 70 time periods of seven years each, or a total of 490 years. Now, Gabriel's words here give us some amazing insights into specific prophetic events, some of which have already been fulfilled with very, very literal precision and others which are still to come. And this provides the framework for our understanding of the end times. So Gabriel answers Daniel's question by telling him that Israel and their holy city, Jerusalem, will have 490 years of uh, Gentile domination before they will have atoned for their sin before God. So the first 483 years of Daniel's prophecy 
are now past. These years, which represent 69 weeks, came to an end the week Christ made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem just prior to his crucifixion. Shortly thereafter, Israel rejected Christ as the Messiah, and then they were scattered to the four corners of the earth, and they were without a homeland, and they were without the holy city of Jerusalem. So before the 70th week could begin, Israel needed to regain control of the promised land, which she did in 1948, and then had to have control of the entire city of Jerusalem, which she did in 1967. And uh, as seen by the fact of Daniel's prophetic uh, passage concerning the 70th weeks, um, you know, the, the, we see here that the city, the, I, uh, the, the, the nation of Israel uh, had to have control of the holy city of Jerusalem, and now it does. And so we've, many of us have seen this happen in our lifetimes. And so with the first 69 weeks, of Daniel's prophecy completed long ago, the time of Christ. Now Israel is back in her land and has control of, uh, of the city of Jerusalem. Now we're at a place where the 70th week could begin. Jesus said, Matthew 24, continuing verse 33, even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now though these things referred to you by Christ are the events that are gonna occur uh, during the 70th week, uh, not before, and they must take place before we can see the return of Christ. So the 70th week will be initiated when the Antichrist, or the son of perdition, makes a covenant with Israel. We see this in Daniel chapter nine, verse 27. It says, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. I know, this is probably getting deep here for you. <clears throat> at the, it's getting deep for me. Um, at the midpoint of the 70th week, the Antichrist will step into the holy place, which is going to be the rebuilt Jewish temple, and will demand to be worshiped. Now, this was foreshadowed in 168 BC when the Greek king Antiochus Epiphanes invaded Jerusalem and captured the city. He then went into the temple, he erected a statue of the Greek god Zeus, and then he sacrificed a pig on the altar. So it was the, the abomination of desolation. This led to a revolt by the Jews who then drove Antiochus and his army out and the Jews regained control until Pompey, a Roman general, captured the Holy Land and brought it under Roman rule. Now, in the first three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week, the Antichrist is going to unleash his wrath and his fury against anyone who refuses to take the mark of the beast. There will be unprecedented evil unleashed against Christians and many will be martyred. So who is this Antichrist? Well, in the end times, <clears throat> a man will come who will basically be the devil in the flesh. The Bible calls him the beast, the son of perdition, the man of lawlessness, and the Antichrist. 
Now, while the scripture doesn't specifically say who this man is, it tells us a lot about him. The book of Daniel says his appearance will be greater than his fellows. In other words, he's going to be a good-looking, good-looking person. The Antichrist will be extraordinarily handsome and tall. He will stand out in a crowd, much like King Saul, uh, who was more handsome and taller than anyone else at that time. The Bible tells us that the Antichrist is going to be a clever man of great intellect. Uh, Daniel describes him as somebody who, uh, chapter 8, verse 23, understands sinister schemes, for through his cunning he shall, de- he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule. And then in chapter 11, according to Daniel, he will come in peaceably and seize the kingdom by intrigue. So, in all likelihood, the Antichrist is going to come in very inconspicuously as one of any number of minor political leaders, but he will gradually get more and more and more power. So he's not only going to be handsome, intelligent, but he's going to speak with all kinds of authority and pride. We get to the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 13, verse 5, it says, And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. Back to Daniel chapter 7, it says uh, that he will, he will be boastful. He will speak pompous words against the Most High. So he's going to defy Almighty God and essentially start his own religion. The prefix anti uh, means against, but it also means instead of. And so both of those meanings uh, really apply to the Antichrist. His power and his authority will come directly from Satan, and he will seek to replace Christ by setting himself up as a deity. So Jesus warned, in the last days you're going to see this. It's going to be like it was when Antiochus Epiphanes went in and offered a pig on the altar. You're going to see another guy go in, the Antichrist, who's going to go in, and he's going to demand to be worshipped in the Jewish temple, and Jesus warns them about him in the Olivet Discourse. He says there's coming a day when the Antichrist, this, this son of perdition, is going to come into this holy place. This marks the midpoint of the 70th week of Daniel. I believe that the birth pains that we discussed earlier will occur in the early part of Daniel's 70th week and that they will intensify significantly when the Antichrist sets himself up to be worshipped at the midpoint of the 70th week. A woman's labor pains increase in two ways, one in intensity and two in frequency. The labor pains become more intense and the contractions come closer and closer together until the very end when the pain is most agonizing and the contractions are almost continuous one right after another and then the child is born then deliverance and that's what's going to be happening right up to the point of deliverance when Christ returns now there's considerable debate and regarding you know where the new testament church fits in all of this and when all this is happening some believe that the rapture of the church uh, occurs prior to the 70th week of Daniel and therefore will not participate in many of the things that were Jesus described in the Olivet Discourse others see the church being a part of the first part of the 70th week of Daniel and being raptured uh, out at the sixth seal uh, judgment found in the book of Revelation others believe that the church will go through uh, the entire 70th week of Daniel and will be raptured out uh, at the day of the Lord at the, at, the very, uh, at the very end. And I'm going to talk about this next week. Uh, and so 
Uh, I know what position you're rooting for. Uh, <laughs> I know where you're at. But uh, next week, I, I'm, I'm going to lay it. I'm, I'm going to lay it all out there uh, to see what 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 does the Bible uh, say. <clears throat> but until then, the most important thing you or I can do regarding the second coming of Christ is to be ready, to be prepared. Um, None of us knows the day or the hour. If you're not spiritually prepared to meet Jesus, the only thing that matters today is that you put your faith and your trust in him. That is the only thing that matters. Forget about everything else you value in life. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is no more important decision you will ever make. And let me tell you, we are living in a day of growing apostasy where people are walking away from God, the truth, and scriptures. And I think we're gonna see this trend continue. Not only continue, but increase significantly. So I think we as a church must put our full effort, our full prayer power, our full resources into spreading the gospel while we can. We don't know how much longer the Lord will tarry, but it certainly seems as if Christ's return is drawing nigh. We are seeing an epic battle between good and evil, between light and darkness, between God and Satan, and it's reaching a crescendo. We may be called to battle the forces of evil in ways that we never dreamt possible. I think what we are witnessing happening in Israel right now, this very day, even as a foreshadow of the very things that Jesus is talking about in the last days and the way, um, the way people are going to hate not only the nation of Israel, but hate followers of Christ. At the end of the day, what they really hate is Christ, right? They hate Jesus. And if you align with Jesus, they're going to hate you too. When I, I, I read even this morning, But you've got your typical rules for warfare, of just things, hey, when you go to war, there's, st there's still things you just don't do. In a civilized world, we may go to war, but there's still things we just don't do in war, right? We, we, we know that. And, and what Hamas did to Israel uh, is quite frankly, unimaginable. It, it, it's a level of depravity and evil, uh, probably not seen since the days of Hitler, and I, I think, even worse in many regards. <clears throat> We're seeing this. This is happening. Israel came back to, you know, the land in 1948. Jerusalem became the capital in 1967. Some say, you know, when Jesus said, this generation shall not pass, you know, some think it has, it's tied to when Israel comes back. All I'm saying is I believe we are living in the last days and we are seeing these things, we are seeing a lot of these things play out. And uh, I, I want you to be prepared. Number one, spiritually. I want you to be prepared spiritually. If you've never put your faith in Christ, my friends, what are you doing? The greatest gamblers in America are not in Las Vegas. You know, they're not in New Jersey, whatever that city is. What is that city? Atlantic City, there we go. <laughs> Not in Atlantic City. The greatest gamblers in the world today are sitting in churches just like this around the country. 
They're saying, I probably should do something. I should give that consideration. Maybe I will one day. And they gamble with their eternal soul, thinking one day I'll put my faith in Christ. One day I'll consider that. Really? You're gonna gamble with your soul? We're living in a hostile world. We need to be prepared spiritually, mentally, and physically for whatever may come. And so just begin now to ask yourself, am I prepared spiritually, mentally, and physically for what we are seeing here in these last day scriptures? In just a moment, I'm gonna lead in a prayer. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your savior, uh, there's never been a point when you've put your faith, maybe you've been a, a religious person, maybe you've been a good person, maybe you think I've done more good than bad, so God's gonna let me in. Can I just tell you, I don't care how much good you've done. You can't do enough good to get into heaven because getting into heaven is not based on what you did. It's based on what Jesus did, amen? It's by putting your faith in him, not in what you do. It's not of works, lest any man should boast, Ephesians 2 tells us. We need to put our faith and our trust in what Jesus Christ did on Calvary to save us. It's not about religion, going to church, taking communion, or any other religious thing that you feel you need to do. That's not what it's about. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It's by putting our faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's not based on what we did. All we do is put our faith in Jesus. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer, and I'm gonna tell you, every time I pray this prayer, it's different. I don't have it written down. I don't memorize it. Every time I pray, it's different because the, the issue isn't the words of the prayer. The issue is the intent of the heart. Are you saying, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for my sins? Do you recognize, first of all, that you're a sinner? Do you recognize the fact that you've broken the Ten Commandments? You've taken the Lord's name in vain. You've disobeyed your parents. You've, you've, you've lied. You've stolen. You've cheated. You've done all these things. You recognize the fact that you are a sinner. You missed the mark. You've done wrong. We can all just agree, yes, I've done wrong. And Jesus said that he came to cover our sins, to pay for our sins, and that we receive it by faith. In other words, we ask for it. He's not gonna force it upon you. He makes it available. It's for, you, it's for you to receive. So how do I receive it? You ask for it. How do you ask for it? In prayer. You just simply pray and ask God to forgive you your sin. So in just a moment, I'm gonna lead in prayer. If you're here this morning and say, I really don't know that I'm saved or I don't remember ever doing this, but I'd like to, I'm gonna invite you to join me in prayer. You don't have to say it out loud. God can see your heart. God knows your thoughts. You can pray it between your heart and the heart of God. But what's important is that it's your faith, not my faith. You're not gonna get in on my faith. You've gotta get in on your faith. This has to be what you believe. You're the one who has to trust in Jesus. You can't do it through me or your family or the fact that your grandpa was a preacher. It's through your faith in Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning and you'd like to put your faith in Jesus Christ, would you just bow your head and pray with me? Everybody just bow your head. And if you'd like to join me in this prayer, please do. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner and I've done wrong. I've broken your word. I've taken your name in vain. I've stolen, I've coveted. I've done so many things, Lord, that displease you. I realize that I'm a sinner and I am unworthy. 
to spend eternity with you because of the things that I have done. God, I am sorry. I'm sorry for my sin and all that I've done. And I ask you to forgive me. The best I know how, I'm asking Jesus to save me from my sins. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe that Jesus was buried and I believe that Jesus rose again, proving that he was the savior. And I'm putting my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and savior. I wanna live my life to please him and I wanna spend eternity in heaven. So God Almighty, I put my trust, my faith in Jesus Christ today. Thank you, God, for saving me. With our heads still bowed and our eyes closed, no one looking around this morning, you say, preacher, I just, I'm not gonna call you out or anything like that. I just like to know between me and you, say, preacher, I just prayed to receive Christ as my Savior. Would you slip your hand up all over the auditorium? Just put it up and put it right back down. God bless you and you and you and you and you and you and you. God bless you. God Almighty, I thank you for all of these hands that are raised this morning. Your word says that that there is joy in heaven amongst the angels when someone puts their faith in Christ. And so God, we rejoice this morning for each person who's put their faith and their trust in Jesus today. God, I pray that you'd help each and every one of us to live our lives in a way that pleases you, that we would be the light in the midst of darkness, that we would be the men and women of faith you've called us to be. And God, give us wisdom. Help us to know what you'd have us to do and how you'd have us to do it. Lord, may everything we do and say bring glory and honor to you. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.